Welcome to eHealth Talk, a podcast from Health Informatics New Zealand and hosted by me, editor of eHealth News, Rebecca Macbeth. This podcast provides a regular roundup of news and views from across New Zealand's data and digital health sector. Please be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to our eHealth Talk NZ monthly news roundup for May I'm joined by HIN's board member and chief executive of Dementia NZ, Scott Arrell, to discuss the latest news in New Zealand's data and digital health sector. Welcome, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. I have to admit to uh, you know being this this um, soft sort of Aucklander approach of uh, feeling that it's really cold. You know, I don't know what it is at the moment, but it's, you know, it's in double digits. You know, positive double digits. Whereas I was talking to someone yesterday in. Uh, out just outside of Twizel, they were in an inside a house. They weren't standing outside, but you know they're talking about you know minus eight, nine, or ten degrees. So, um, that that warmed me up pretty well. But uh, here I am sitting here thinking, gosh, what's the weather going to do? And uh, here we we're going sliding into winter pretty quickly by the feel of it, isn't it? And yes, indeed. Yeah, come from the <laughs> South Island myself, but I've adjusted to the Auckland temperatures <laughs> and now also feel the cold. Um, so it's been another eventful month for eHealth News. On May 20th, the budget was released, which includes a $400 million investment in data and digital infrastructure and capability to enable health system transformation. And much of this will fund the National Health Information Platform, which has been renamed HERA. Work is expected to begin on the platform from July, and the first tranche will run until January 2024. So the ministry's website says HERA will enable access to a virtual electronic health record as needed by drawing together a person's latest health data from trusted sources to create that data. So first of all, Scott, what's your overall reaction to the budget news? Well, it's actually sort of sweet and sour, if I can put it that way. Um, the sweet in terms of you know, fantastic to get that funding for HERA, I think, um, you know, Shane and his team, the ministry and minister and the government have done really well in recognising that this is an essential um, thing that has to happen. And to kick it into gear, they've, they've put $400 million spread out over uh, four years, by the way, so that's $100 million. Uh, so that's the sweet side of it. I think it has to be done. It's been a long time coming, and, and I know Shane and co. will be very pleased to really have the backing to get it underway, um, and it, it will progress from there. Um, the sour side is actually um, it's not enough, and, and that's kind of the devil in the detail side of things. So, you know, we know that um, the best estimate that we've been able to make, both you and I, Rebecca, and a few others over the last few years, is you know, the, the spend on health IT in the public health system has been about 2.5%, uh, when in fact the global average is 48 to 5%. So to put it bluntly, you know, the spend in New Zealand has really only been enough to sort of turn the computers on in the morning and keep the lights running and, and just do a few other things. We've applied that really um, fantastic Kiwi number eight wire approach to try to be innovative with very little money. And in in some cases that's worked, in other cases it's not. And in, in another set of cases it's not happening at all. So um, we've still got, if we put her to one side and 400 million or 100 million a year, which is a capital project, by the way. So that's a specific funding for a specific project to occur. So the actual expenditure on health IT hasn't changed. In fact, 
in real terms, it will have gone backwards. So, you know, we still have that 300 to $350 million shortfall. And, you know, what's happening with that? I, I've seen in the news a bit of champagne corks being popped and a bit of back slapping about how the, the sector and, and um, you know, even my old crowd of saying, hey, we've really cracked it now. Look what we've done. But, hey, I'm sorry, but um, uh, really all that's happened and it's it's – I'm not trying to downplay it, is that Hero has got the funding it needed, and that's great. Uh, we're seeing, you know, if we can refer briefly to the Waikato DHB situation, we're seeing the impact of uh, many, many years of that underspend and underinvestment. Um, so I would be really happy if there was $400 million in the budget plus another at least $300 million per annum um, to go towards actually running our systems and, and getting them up to the state that they should be. So that that's really, I, I think we shouldn't be celebrating. I think we we should really be pleased with what's happened with Hero and the funding for that, but the, the rest of it really worries me. Mm. I mean, there has been talk about NHIP or Hero for quite some time. So what does it mean for that project in itself being approved for investment? And how do you think people, um, I guess, with your experience with industry, can they get involved in the project, do you think? Well, I think there's a great opportunity now. Um, yeah, and this is, I think, the opportunity that this creates for for all the players, if I can put it that way, in New Zealand is is fantastic. Um, the, the relationships are important, and I think it's a brand about you know where we talk about, or, or the the ministry talks about, you know, being it's not it's a virtual electronic health record type approach. It's not one system to to replace them all. Then you know those that are already on the path and in some cases fast tracking you know towards to, to interoperability and what you know all of that embraces then good on them you know i think they they kind of they, they they've sort of got the, the the start button a bit earlier than the others so if you haven't kind of embraced what all that means well then you know and many people have heard me kind of bang on about this in the past you know you're going to have to understand a couple of things one is you know relationships are key partnerships are important interoperability is a must so, you know, that, that to me is, is kind of the, the mantra that's going to have to happen here. Otherwise, there will be some that miss out. Um, there is, this is going to create a consolidation in the marketplace. Uh, you know, there will be some that are operating with systems now that those systems won't be there in the future. Um, and there'll be some that aren't in, this, in the sector now that are going to emerge. Uh, so good opportunities, uh, also lots of risk as well. So the budget announcement also includes up to $116 million to be invested over the next four years to transform the ministry's health sector agreements and payment systems. Uh, so these systems manage between $100 and $390 million a week. And apparently the last attempt to make significant upgrades was in 2006. So are these systems overdue, do you think, for some investment? And what benefits will more modern payment systems provide? Oh, yeah, way overdue. You know, I can think back to, yeah, pre-2006 and when I was, you know, for a very long period of time, uh, you know, providing healthcare services, you know, contracted healthcare services in, into the sector. And, man, the, the mess of, uh, with, in terms of the agreement side and the payment side and having to unravel, you know, um, reports that didn't match and trying to get paid when you should have got paid but didn't. Um, you know, so this is music to my ears. Um, 
but it will be even it kind of like be a massive symphony of music or cacophony of music for for so many in the sector those particularly those providing services under contract to the public health system so yeah great great well overdue um but like Hera, well overdue but at least it's coming and uh, and, and it's a good commitment remembering Sorry, again, to be a bit of a downer here. Um, it's $29 million a year, and it's a massive problem. You know, I had my doubts that that $29 million a year is going to actually solve it. Good on them if they can, um, because it does have to be solved. I wouldn't be surprised to see more money have to have to be allocated to that, but it's a, it's a, it's a capital project, and, and it has to jump through all the hoops that capital projects do. When you think about, you know, say upwards of $400 million of transactions per week, that, that's massive. Um, and if you are providing your know, services and you're not getting paid properly for them, um, particularly NGOs who, who work on, on the smell of an oily rag, if you have to have an administrator uh, tied up trying to match up payments that haven't been made and, and try to prove that you've delivered the services when you know you have, but yet you're not, not getting paid for them uh, either at all um, or not in a timely way. You know, you could be waiting six or 12 months before you get paid for, you know, when there's been queries on on your invoicing. Um, you got So there's a lot of uh, back-end work being done that hopefully this will solve as well. So it's not just about, you know, the, the number of transactions that, that are involved. It's the cost of trying to, work with a system that's been broken for a long time so fixing that's fantastic mm-hmm. hopefully some savings in the sector there in terms of that manual overhead as well so yeah. uh, another interesting piece of news i've reported on recently is that for north island dhbs uh, counties manukau tairafati mid-central and capital and coast are implementing badge global as the maternity clinical information system in june So Auckland DHB is also due to go live with the system later this year. The current system in use is an instance of Clevermed's Baginet, specifically tailored for New Zealand for maternity and neonatal care, as well as newborn screening. However, Clinical Director of Women's Health at Counties Manukau told me that despite a lot of development work, it remains primarily forms-based and does not flow well as a clinical system, whereas Baginet Global, which has been developed in the UK, is more clinically intuitive and easier to navigate. So is this a positive step forward for maternity services in New Zealand, Scott, do you think? And do you also think we'll see other DHBs coming on board? Oh, yes, it is a, a positive step forward. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, with, to, to look at a number of DHBs that have, uh, uh, you know, and, and again, a bit tongue-in-cheek here, so hopefully I don't offend too many people, but but finally kind of, you know, that things click and, and realise, oh, actually it would be quite good if, if uh, we were all working on the same system. Um, and particularly something like, like maternity, you know, it's, uh, I came into the role at NZ HIT, um, what is it about eight years or so ago? And I think I think the the, the Baginet system had been chosen, and and there was a big trumpet blast that it was going to go across all of the DHBs. Well, here we are, sort of eight years later, and and effectively it's going to be replaced with a much with a much better system, which is good. Um, the you know it is about time, and again, that seems to be my message in our talk today. It's about time, um, but the uh, definitely it's a step forward. Um, and, and about thinking whether other DHBs will come on board, 
well, I'd challenge them to explain why they won't, uh, if I can put it that way, because, you know, um, I know that, you know, this is terrible for me to say in a way, but, you know, uh, in terms of, of maternity, you know, there's, the, 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 there's such a commonality in terms of, you know, um, the record keeping the data flow and so forth why wouldn't we have one system right across the country you know it's uh you know i don't see that you know yes there would be some rurality involved maybe and and in terms of midwife midwifery and so on and so forth but but fundamentally this is a system that you know it's it's a bit like bowel screening right you know i, I can't understand why we just wouldn't have the one system right across and keeping in mind that you know it's not that far away we're told that that we're not going to have 20 dhbs so again, yeah, this is a system that just should be a national system, and um, capturing all the data that it needs, uh, interoperating um, where it must, and and just make it all work. Mm. Yeah, interesting. What the impact of the health reforms will be on decisions like that? And I thought it was particularly interesting because it is um, a system that is in community. It's used by independent midwives, community midwives and in the hospital, and, and that they are also going to in- introduce a patient portal as well that um, that mothers can access. So I just thought it was a it's really interesting sort of, I guess, microcosm of what might be possible uh, nationally. It doesn't always have to be a national system, but a systems that join together and uh, speak to, yeah, community, mm. hospital, all levels of care and the patients have access. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it progresses mm. and um, particularly how the patient portal goes because, as we both know, there's not a lot of um, those in tertiary care. <laughs> well, if no, any, no, actually. So, yeah, we'll follow that one with I, interest. I would- yeah, I would really like to see another challenge, um, for example, that let's not just think kind of within the circle or within the square here. You know, I would, I hope that they, they whoever they are that are making these decisions and um, are talking with the likes of Plunkett, for example, and saying, you know, because they've created a system for obviously, you know, for, for you know, post-maternity. So, you know, looking after children and families and so on, they've got a system. They've spent a lot of time and effort and money over many years to, to you know, to create a system, and um, again, let's not make sh- let's make sure that we don't create another siloed approach. Um, you know, if we're talking about children, uh, babies, children, and then the rest of their life, I would also be saying, why do we need yet another portal? You know, we've we've really got portals that that need to be work better. Make the ones that we got work better, and again, interoperate them um, so that you, you know, I. If we're really being innovative and smart here, we would say, well, you know, you're, you know, uh, little Johnny's born today. Um, here's his portal for life, right? So, you know, here's your health portal, mate. And this is going to capture all of your data from from before you were born right through to, you know, to the end, end state. Um, we're not going to give you 12 different portals because, you know, you were born. So we'll give you that portal. And then we'll give you this this other portal because you're, you're a toddler and then someone and so forth. Just Let's just have one portal. And just just make it make it go with us. 
Mm, yeah well that's a nice vision Scott we'll see we'll see <laughs> if that one comes to fruition but so the system is available for use nationally but there is no mandatory requirement to do so and Shane Hunter at the ministry says they're going to um, develop a perinatal spine to enable certified systems to securely record store view and contribute to the record of care um, if those systems are not direct users of Baginet Global so it's quite an interesting concept to enable better data sharing the spine do you think this could be a blueprint or is it going to be a blueprint for connecting other health services across the country oh, i think so um without understanding kind of the details of what a what the spine is but you know if we bring it back to interoperability and NHIP's not going to be one system to replace them all then then it must have some mechanism to you know, and spine's quite a good word isn't it so you kind of you got the spine running through the, the the system and so there will be different types of software capturing um, various bits of data just a bit like I've talked about with regards to maternity and and the rest of our life then how do, you know if I harp on about the one portal type approach and I don't mean one portal only for the all of New Zealand. It'd be we've got to have a competitive ma- marketplace. But um, the that portal, let's say, if we just had one, I chose one portal, and my parents did when I was born. Then um, it's got to gather data from lots of different systems. But for me, as the user, um, I I don't need to know all of that. I just need to know that. Oh well, here's my bit of data that's really important to me at this time in my in my life, right? And um, the fact that the engine room all in behind it has connected up in a way that that faces that data up or information up for me, you know, I, I me as a user shouldn't have to be concerned about about making it work. You know, like you have a car, unless you're mechanic or mechanically minded, you have a car, you know, but like me, I, I get it and drive it. You know, um, I, I don't lift the bonnet every time and, try and sort of pull the motor to bits just to make sure that it's going to work. I, I just I just get in the car and drive, right? And that, that's what I'm thinking about here. Uh, mm. um, so good, yeah, I think what Shane's talking about, it makes sense. And in fact, um, given the direction of travel for NHIP or HERA, um, yeah, a, a system like that is, is it will have to be in place. Mm. Yeah, they certainly, they call that in the NHS, the NHS spine, and they built that as part of their national program for IT. It's one of the um, things that I think worked well as a good investment there. Um, So in HINS news, we've got applications for the Fellowship of Health Informatics New Zealand program are now open. You can apply online before June the 4th. Uh, We've also opened registrations for this year's Digital Health Week in Wellington from November 29th to December 1st, as well as applications to speak at the event, which are open until June 30th. So make sure you get in quick for those as well. What do you think, Scott? Do you encourage, encourage people to apply to speak? And attend, obviously. Yeah, absolutely, and, and not only encourage, but encourage to get in quick because you know we we missed out on all of this last year. Um, clearly, the fellowship wasn't in place then. Um, but if we're talking about Digital Health Week, you know that was a, a major gap in our in our calendar of events last year for obvious reasons. And I reckon it's fantastic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud. To be on the Hins board, to be frank, because you know, whilst I'm not really doing much, it's it's great to see the hard work that Kim, yourself, and 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 all the others at Hins are doing. Um, 
because putting on this event is is a big undertaking, and I, you know people just got to get in behind it, get get there, uh, but make sure you you apply pretty soon, or, um, or at least register pretty soon for the event. And if you want to speak, as you're saying, uh, June thirty is about a month away, but you know, and it, it, that's not that far away in real terms, is it? So yeah, get in and uh, register for the Digital Health Week. It's going to be a must attend this year, I'm sure. And uh, hey, the fellowship, that's fantastic. I think there's been such a great amount of positive feedback. And I know, I know the people who are the current fellows um, are just so proud of proud of it and uh, of having that title. And, and it's, it's, they're all, they've all earned it. And um, so, yeah, it's not far off, June 4th. Um, and it's open to anyone, isn't it? If you, you, know, you, can, you can apply to be um, a fellow. So, um, and obviously there's a process to follow, but get your application in. Yep, yep. You can find all the information on our website, hins.org.nz. So uh, probably the biggest news story this month, and you did mention it earlier, is actually the cyber attack on Waikato DHB's information services. However, given the ongoing nature of this attack, uh, we're not going to discuss it in this podcast, but perhaps come to it at a later date regarding lessons learned. Do you have anything just to add on that, Scott? Uh, yeah, just as I touched on earlier with regards to funding, you know, I think un- sadly, you know, this, you know, not that it was going to be Waikato, but it's been flagged for quite some time that there was going to be a major, it was a major attack and it would be successful. And um, sadly, we're seeing it play out now uh, with our friends in the Waikato. And the, you know, there's a whole lots of things there that I don't know, so I'm not going to comment much on it in terms of the specifics of what's going on. Um, but just to say, you know, we've got to give some, despite, you know, the sensationalism um, that the media loves to put around these things, you know, there, there will be a lot of people working very hard, probably 24 hours a day and not getting much sleep at the moment, um, doing the best that they can. And um, so it's happened, you know, I, I, that harking back to the investment required in the sector, um, I hope that this is a salutary um, wake-up call uh, to understand that that the money that's been allocated, this $517 million, doesn't touch the sides when it comes to actually making sure that we're resilient with this sort of thing. It's, it's um, you know, and, and this will be costly. Um, so if only we, you know, it's one of those if-only things, if only we'd invested what we should have been investing prior to this, you know, we, we could have avoided it. But it's happened and, you know, we, you know, like you say, I agree. There's so much more to happen yet um, play out that you know, there's not much more we can say. I've got a question though. Someone might um, email you and or even give me a call and answer it. So you know, there's experts in that cyberspace, yeah, but um, I haven't had a proper answer because you know you you see the discussion about it. It's, it's more about framing. So they talk about um, uh, like bad bad actors, right? So the term actor is put on these these people and and there's good there's bad actors and good actors but you know i i i guess it's just me being being a little bit ocd you know why don't we just call them criminals you know i which is what they are and you know this whole word of actors sort of uh, has connotations that there's you know there's some people kind of playing at this thing well they're not playing at it they're serious serious players you know serious players but they're serious criminals frankly who have who are very sophisticated and um and we're seeing the results of that so perhaps just a bit of framing is needed there too but for the general public you know we should be making sure that they understand that yeah this is a criminal activity they don't care that it's our health system and people's health 
and well-being that's at stake here. Um, there's only one thing they care about, and that's money. And and that's mostly why criminals behave in the way that they they do, whether it's robbing your house or or stealing your data. So you know it's it's driven by monetary gain, and and we should call it what it is. Mm, no, you're right. Maybe um, we will get some more harmonisation of the language across. <laughs> The media there, but interesting um, you brought that up actually because I did see, I think it was Germany, I could be wrong, but I think it was Germany where they were actually going to um, take some cyber criminals to court for um, a health data hack in terms of the consequences of that because people can be, you know, really physically hurt or even, you know, in the worst circumstances could result potentially in early death. And so actually holding them accountable for for that. So that will be an interesting, um, if you can find who these criminals are, that'll be an interesting yeah. one to watch as well, how that um, plays out. But certainly I completely agree. It's, um, yeah, uh, it's criminal indeed. So uh, we do <laughs> extend support yeah, to everyone involved yeah, in right. that and acknowledge the hard work going on across the country to get the systems mm. back online and prevent further attacks. Yeah, and I think the, the thing for people to realise is, you know, and, and those in the system already know this, I'm talking to the converted, but th- those that aren't and this and the general public, you know, they, they, the criminals doing these things, are, you know, they, they're very well uh, organised and and they they will be scoping the world, you know, looking at um, systems that are vulnerable. And, you know, we, and we we saw an attack on our stock exchange, was it last year or year before? Um, yeah, they, they found a vulnerability and then they will they will expose it and take advantage of it. Um, again, they've obviously found a vulnerability at, at this particular DHB. Um, and I'm sure that the other DHBs are, you know, doing, working, re- it's not just about Waikato DHB working really hard. Um, all of the DHBs and the PHOs, I'm sure, I hope, you will be working very hard at the same time, making sure um, you know that their vulnerabilities are are not there. That they're, they're, they're mitigating the risks in their systems, and I'm sure they are. So that, that's why I say there will be a lot of people right across the country, um, you know, that are working pretty hard right around the clock right now. So and mm. and uh, yeah, thoughts go with them. Yeah. Definitely. Well, um, on that note, thanks for joining me today, Scott. Um, we are going to wrap it up there, but I look forward to another discussion next month. Who knows what, what we'll be talking about then. But uh, thanks to all our listeners. And if you can take the time to like and subscribe to this podcast, that will help other people find it. Yeah, and also, Rebecca, if you don't mind, I, I perhaps even encourage listeners to pop you a, a note if they've got questions that that they want you to ask me, they might have, they might say, well, this, this smart, smart dude, Scott thinks he's really cool um, and knows everything. So they might be able to come up with some really tricky questions for me. Well, your questions are tricky enough, but yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, for there are some people um, to pose their own questions for you to put to me. That would, that would really put the, put the, um, the acid on me, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, it's a great idea. We're, getting, we're encouraging listener feedback to the news podcast, <laughs> editor at hins.org.nz. Um, and as long as it's a reasonable question, <laughs> I will happily <laughs> ask true. it. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, Scott. Thanks for listening to eHealth Talk. Be sure to subscribe and share with your colleagues and friends. eHealth Talk eHealth News and the eHealth TV webinar series are supported by Health Informatics New Zealand. See hins.org.nz for more information and become a member starting at just $17 a month. 
We also have affordable organisational membership options now for both our industry partners and healthcare providers.